Ephesians 3 and 20. Ephesians 3 and 20. And, and uh, I'll give you just a moment to find it. I think the guys are going to pull it up for you in the maybe the King James Version, or we'll see which version comes up. And uh, there are some incredible truths in this one passage of Scripture. I was sharing with Pastor Todd last night eight things I found in the Scripture, and I'm not going to try to share all eight of those, but I do want to give you the Scripture, and I like the very first word. Do you like the very first word? Is it now? Now, in that, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but now, right now. Now, watch this. Now, unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh where? In us. How crazy is that? These eight principles, these eight uh, uh, things that God gives us is somehow tied in or determined by us, by our actions, by our thoughts, by our words, by our, by our deeds. I want a powerful passage of Scripture. If you're trying to take notes, I'll share the eight principles. I'm not going to attempt to cover all eight of those. We may look at two, just kind of depending on, on how things go. i got a piece of carrot cake waiting on me, so I'm uh, going to be brief this morning because that carrot cake is tempting. And if you want, want to love your pastor, J. Alexander's carrot cake, that's the route to go. We've got a really cool gift from Pastor Billy. I didn't know that there was a J. Alexander's in St. Pete. I don't know that. I know once or twice, three or four. So Pastor Billy has sent us a, a wonderful uh, gift certificate. And uh, Pastor Ron, it took Christine to celebrate her uh, uh, four, uh, 15. Christine turned 15. Courtney turned 29. And Skylar turned one. All December babies. That's a lot of cake. How many of us, that's a lot of birthday cake. That's a lot of, uh, most kids born in the month of December feel cheated that they really didn't get the, 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 uh, the special effect. I think Christine's getting her room done, so she's in a special effect. We've done some things for Courtney. So we love our kids, and we love what God is doing through our family. Eight principles, eight life challenges in this scripture. If you're trying to write them down, I actually have a, uh, a title for this message. It's rather lengthy. Uh, it's entitled, are you ready for it? Regroup, Refocus, Return, and Respond. Those all start with R. I just thought that up by myself. Now I've got to write a sermon to go with the title. Uh, eight principles that you find in Ephesians 3 and a 20. It's a passage of scripture you might want to memorize because it's such a powerful truth. It talks about a right now God dealing with right now circumstances and right now situations. He's not the great I used to be. He's not the great I'm going to be. He is the great I am that I am. We talked last week about the Tetragrammaton, the unspeakable, unmentionable, all-powerful name of God, which is Yahweh. And when Yahweh was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, all the sins of all eternity, the sins of your grandparents, your sins, your children's sins, your grandchildren's sins, all those sins were paid for and purchased by the blood of Jesus. That blood has got to be applied to our children. The Bible says there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein. That, that, that blood still flows from Calvary. It's a type and shadow of our restoration and our redemption. Regroup, refocus, return, and respond. Eight principles. Principle number one, it's time that you need to relocate or redetermine or find your vision. Find your vision. Uh, everyone has been given a vision. 
whether how young you are, how old you are, how smart you are, or how you don't think they're smart. Everyone in this building has a vision. God has given them a vision. Jeremiah 29, a very popular passage to this generation, this generation right now, that talks about God said, I know the plans I have for you. And they're good plans. God has a plan. God has a vision. God has a purpose. God has a destiny for you. You're not just another brick in the wall. When God made you, he made no one else like you. Same thing with the snowflake. When God created a snowflake, they don't ma- there's no, a matching snowflake. Never in the history of mankind has anybody ever had the same fingerprint of someone else. You don't have the same DNA. You are an original. And how fearfully and wonderfully we are made. When you study the body and you look at the way God put all the things in the body, it is phenomenal. And if you don't believe in God, just watch a baby being born and your mind will change when you see how God will bring that forth into the world and you get to observe that, that, that glory, that beauty. Find your vision. What is your vision? What is my vision? What is God saying? What am I supposed to be doing? What am I, what am I not doing? And, and as you find your vision, we'll show you ways to start pursuing that vision. The second thing I want to bring to your attention, the second principle is to run your race. Run your race. Don't try to run someone else's race. Don't try to be like somebody else. Don't let anybody try to squeeze you into their, their cookie-cutter mold. You are different. Dare to be dri- different and find the race that God has given you. The third thing I want to bring to your attention of, of the eight principles is to expect good things to happen to you. Many of us have an Eeyore mentality. I love Eeyore because he makes that little nasal sound, and he says, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. Poor Eeyore, everything, the glass is half empty. It's not half full. It's half empty. And uh, and the, the word wants us to expect good things. He is a rewarder. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11 and 5. As you begin to expect good things in your life and so and so good things, receive good things, you realize that God definitely wants good things to happen to you. I remember years and years and years and years ago, I was a child, and, and on Sunday morning, there were two things, the television. I can actually remember black and white television. I know none of you can, are, are, you're, you're, you're not that old, but I actually remember Catherine Kuhlman coming on TV on Sunday morning, and she had such a distinct way of enunciating something good is going to happen to you. She believed that. I remember when the Oral Roberts kind of hit, hit major television, and he had the singers. A lot of people fuss at Oral Roberts because he thought they were rock and roll. The singer would move around and dance, and that just was not heard of in that generation. But their theme song was something good is going to happen to you. Catherine Kuhlman, her, her, her slogan was, I believe in miracles. I remember as a child those things being, being literally rehearsed over and over and over in my brain that I actually grew up believing in miracles. I actually believed something good was going to happen to me. And as you start expecting good things to happen, and as you make good things happen to others, guess what? You reap what you sow. You sow a smile, you reap a smile. I've learned if you sow if you sow a scowl, say that fast. If you sow a scowl, you reap a scowl. If you sow a frown, you reap a frown. If you do something good for somebody, if you pay it forward, if you pay for somebody's meal in the behind you, the odds are pretty soon someone's going to pay your meal, or God's going to bless you 
above and beyond what you eat and grasp. So expect something good to happen, especially the first Sunday morning of a brand new year. You're here in the house of God. You're not all hung over. You're not all thrown up. You're not all got. I mean, I mean, we we enjoyed life without drugs. We enjoy without alcohol. We enjoy drugs. Enjoyed life without being promiscuous. The fact that you're here today and you're breathing, that is a good thing. Look at somebody say, that is a good thing. If you don't believe it's a good thing, then go to a hospital room where a loved one is hooked up to a machine and the machine is, is breathing for them. And look at those loved ones and ask them, is this a good thing? Absolutely not. But the fact that you're here today and you're clothed and in your right mind, how cool is that? You've worshipped, you've given, you've, you've obeyed the Lord. Something good's going to happen because you made the right decision to come be a part of the thing of God. The fourth thing is to have a positive mindset, a positive mindset. I remember, again, as a child, and I don't know how many remember Captain Kangaroo. Remember Captain Kangaroo? But uh, there was another guy, that a kid's program. It was Sheriff John. Does anyone remember Sheriff John? Oh, we have a few Sheriff John. And Sheriff John was also in black and white. But Sheriff John had a train, and this train was pursuing this goal. And as this train would pursue this goal, it would begin to chug. It would begin to say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then all of a sudden, when it got to a certain level, it changed gears and says, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. You need to start having a positive mindset about the things that you're involved in, that you can accomplish, you can do the will of the Father. You can do great things in your life. The fifth thing that I'll bring to your attention is that it's, it's important to commit to excellence. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to pursue the best, to be the best that you can be, to do the best that you can do. The sixth thing I put here is to keep growing, to keep growing. They asked Billy Graham if he had it to do all over again, would he do anything different? He said he would. They asked him, what would you do? He said, I would pray more. I would pray more. I remember in high school, in my junior year when I ran the mile, the, uh, the goal was to run the five-minute mile. That was a pretty fast mile for that particular generation, 1972. And I remember the, the race that I actually broke the five-minute barrier. And when I broke the five-minute barrier, it was like, okay, let's run a four-minute mile. Oh, how many knows that's almost impossible? I think the record's 417 or something. But you keep growing. You accomplish something, and then you turn around and say, let me do this differently. Let me do it at a different level. Let me try to pursue excellence. Let me try to do it better. The seventh thing that I've, I've put here in this um, eight principles is to learn how to serve others with a smile. I love our dinner theaters. I love our banquets. I love the times that we get together. And if you'll watch me at one of the dinner theaters, I take great joy in going around the tables and filling up their iced tea and, and getting them some ice and some coffee. That just, that's something that I enjoy doing. And I, as, I, as I sow that later in life, later that day, later that week, later that month, people will begin to serve me and begin to bless me. And I learn as I make something happen to somebody else, God makes something happen to me. A famous story of a Confederate officer in a blizzard separated from his battalion, trudged through the snow and the ice, and then finally just decided that he was going to sit down and die. He walked as far as he could walk, walked in more freezing cold weather, he sat down on what he thought was a log or a stump, and as he sat on it, it began to move and began to dig away the ice, and there was a 
Union soldier that had given up at the point of death. And that Confederate soldier got that Union soldier up, shook the ice off him, shook the snow off him, put his arm around his neck, and they began to walk. And within 100 yards, walked him to a camp where there was warmth, and there was fire, and there was food, and there was shelter. Never, never give up. Learn to serve others. And eighthly, learn how to stay passionate. There's nothing boring about the things of God. There's nothing boring about being a part of the family of God. When you learn that we can walk in, in miracles and favor and blessing and we can lay hands on things that are broken and they will get fixed or we can minister to people and watch their lives change, you realize that if you're not careful, you'll get bored with life. And you get bored with the things going on. Stay passionate about what you're passionate about. I learned from John Evanzini that there's several pockets in ministry. There are people that are passionate about missions. There are people that are passionate about feeding the, the hungry. There are people that are passionate about Israel. Whatever you're passionate about, and if you're not passionate about something, you need to get passionate about something. Maybe the fact that you're not going to die and go to hell, that could give you some hello. Maybe the fact that you walk in the 6,000, there are 6,000 documented blessings in the King James Version of the Bible. 6,000. That's a lot. Hello. That's a lot of promises. That's a lot of blessing. That's a lot of favor. Stay passionate. Um, I shared this with Pastor Todd last night. I shared it with Al Mangold yesterday, but there was a young man uh, that was really, really wanting, and I'm, I'm going to talk just for a few minutes about finding your vision. Proverbs 29 and 18, what does that say? Anybody? Just speak back to me. Without a vision, the people perish. There's got to be a purpose. There's got to be a vision. There's got to be a destiny. There's got to be a reason why you're doing what you're doing, there's got to be a reason why you study, why you read, why you pray, why you worship. There's got to be a reason that there's got to be a purpose to what you're doing. And I read, read the story of a young man who really expired to be an actor. That's what he really wanted to do with his life. And doors were shut. Nothing was happening. Pretty discouraged. He sat down and wrote himself a check for $10 million. And beside the check, he said, for services rendered. And as he tried to pursue this career and tried to pursue this goal, every time he got discouraged, he would get that check out, and he would look at that check that he wrote to himself for $10 million. Twelve years later, Hollywood paid Jim Carrey $12 million to star on Dumb and Dumber. Hello. Hello. It's okay to have a vision. Without a vision, you perish. It's okay to to purpose in your heart, things you want to do, goals that you want to set, things you want to become. I shared this story with Al Mango yesterday. This morning about 8 o'clock, I received a text. I opened up the text to read. Al Mango said, I just wrote myself a check for $50 million. And Al, Al has the ability and some of the stuff he's involved in, he has the ability to generate that. That door could actually open and he could actually be blessed. And hopefully I'm in line of one of the contributors he wants to bless when he receives that $50 million. Do I have a friend in the building? There are times when we, Pastor Ron and I have been remarried for 30 years. I've been clean. In February I've been clean for 36 years. And there, yes, that's, a, that's quite a, that's quite a comp. I pray, praise the Lord for that. And, but there are times when, you know, when you, when you get discouraged or, or when you get just a, little, just a little blue, a little, it's important to, things that are important for you to do. And, and I have learned, I know this is crazy, 
But sometimes I'll get my yearbook out when I was in 12th grade. And I'll begin to look through that, remember, reminisce some of the things there, some of the memories. As most of you know, Joni Lamb wrote a book called Surrender All. It was on the New York bestseller list for 16 weeks. How many knows that's pretty much a, a big deal? But if you will purchase that book and you will go to the third chapter of that book, you'll find the story of Hank and Rhonda, our divorce, the drugs, the reconciliation, the restoration, where name, where we live, what we're doing, what we're part of. And so when I feel like that maybe life is not really all that significant, all that important, I begin to realize of the millions of people that have read that book, read that story, and they're, married, they're encouraged in their marriage, they're encouraged in their destiny. At night, in August 1998, Charisma is the largest Christian publication in the world. And in 1998, Charisma decided to put Ron and I on their cover and tell our story. And not, not, not all the time, but there are times still, that was like 14 years ago, there are times when people will call and say, I read your story in a magazine. That magazine is 14 years old. It was in a dentist's office, and somebody read the story and called and said, I'm believing God for my marriage because of what I read in this story. And that encourages me to know that this Christian magazine told our story to the world. Uh, there, there is a, a d very dear friend in our life that has the ability to do quite well. He's done quite well. 24 months ago, he felt impressed to write me a check for $200,000. And when things get a little discouraging, a little depressing, I'll get that check out, and I'll see my name, and I'll see that amount, and I'll see a signature. New Year's Day, I received a phone call from this entrepreneur and said, I plan to make that check good this year. Hello, is anybody excited for me? I mean, how, how cool is God? The first thing I want to bring to your attention, if you're, if you're with me so far, is to stay focused. Stay focused. I have learned in a tree stand before the deer approaches the field, I will select a limb or a bush, and I will focus my scope so I can see clearly the definition of that limb or that bush. So when, so when the target presents himself, I am ready. I'm, 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 I'm prepared. I've got, my, I've got my equipment focused. I have learned in football and in basketball that coaches teach their defensive players to watch the waist of their opponent. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of football players, they'll zig and they'll zag and they'll do all kinds of things and they will fake people out and they'll throw people off. But a good athlete will watch the waist because the waist can only go in one direction to stay focused on the waist of that athlete. I remember uh, when, when, when I was restored to God and, and was divorced, I weighed 119. I was freebasing, shooting, or snorting a gram of coke a day. I was, I, physically, I was a joke. I could not take an 80-pound weight and lift it over my head. That's how, that's how I had messed up my body. I got, involved in a, I got involved in a gym. I got to working out. You know the story. I led Mr. Teenage America to the Lord. It was my desire to bench press 300 pounds. That was a mindset. That was a goal. And there was a shirt that had 300 pounds on it, and it had the, weight, it had the bar and had the weights on each end. And before I did the 300, I bought the shirt. I wore the shirt. People say, have you bench pressed 300? I said, no, but I'm working on it. Every time someone commented on the shirt, it made me go back to the gym and try a little harder. And I didn't bench press that, that weight by adding a lot of weight on. 
I bench pressed that weight by starting off small. I started with my weight, 170, and then I would add weight to that. And I remember the day that I bench pressed 305 pounds. I had Mr. Teenage America and three or four other major bodybuilders in my, I'm laying on the bench, I've got the weight in my face, screaming at me, hollering, shouting, encouraging, you can do it. I can't, I can't tell you the names they called me. I shared some with Pastor Todd last night. I can't, but they were, they were as intense as I was in bench pressing that weight. And I never forget that feeling when those arms stretched out and actually did that weight. But I probably would not have bench pressed that much weight if I hadn't stayed focused on that particular goal. Do I have a friend in the house that can relate? I, uh, Pastor Ronald will tell you I built several nice homes. If you were to go to Orange County, Anaheim Hills, there are four homes there. They're all worth over a million. I built them 38 years ago. There were about $400,000, $500,000 homes then. But in that, in the building those homes, I got a, I got a set of plan, a book that has plans in it. Anybody ever seen them? And those plans, they have, they have, they have five plans. They have the A plan, the B plan, the C plan, the D plan, and the E plan. The E plan are all the 5,000 square foot or more. The E, the E plan has a loggia. It has a narthex. It has, it has big fancy entryways. It has dormers. It has, it has sofas. It's, it's, a, it's like a, like a million dollar house. And there will be times when I will get a little folk, little frustrated with a little house that I've been living in for 26 years, and I'll get that book of plans out, and I'll begin to look at that. I'll begin to look at those plans and look at that house that's 5,000 square, 6,000 square foot, and say, one day I'm going to build that house. One day I'm going to live in that house. One day we're going to be able to entertain people and get enough people in our house to have fun without all scrunching and and. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you've been to my house when I've had 50 or 60. It's a tight. We, we make it work, but one day it's not going to be tight. One day it's going to be awesome. It's going to be phenomenal. I'll have everybody for a pool party. I'm going to have a, a, a slide and a diving board. I'm going to do, I'm going to do. But, but, you know, from time to time, I just need to get that out. Several years ago, and God spoke to me this morning, and Pastor Todd's going to help me. Several years ago, a dear friend of mine presented some plans, and through those plans, Donnie, we redid them, we reshaped them, we refurbished them, and we got a we got a bid on what it cost to build that particular building. And this company was so kind to do a rendering of that building that we wanted to build. And uh, when the church was just a few years old, it looked like that this this dream, this vision, was going to come to pass right away. And then the 90s hit, <laughs> and then the 2000 hit, and the, and the and the funds and the finance everything began to topple and begin to crash and burn. So we put this painting up. And, and set it back in a closet somewhere. This morning, the Lord said, get it out and revisit the plans, revisit the dream, re revisit the purpose. We have right now the assets and the ability. This building's over a million dollars. We have the assets and the ability to build this, to build this edifice debt-free. We have the ability to pay for every single dime of this construction. All we've got to do is sell what we've got to Red Lobster or somebody and let them come in here and put a motel in. We've already found a piece of land that, that, that I've got our name on it. It's being held just for us. It's been taken off the market and held for us. It's in a great place. It's a great location. We still have these plans. And all we need all we need is for one phone call, me, for one person to call and say, I want to buy your 17 acres. I'll give you $3.8 you're asking for. I'm going to put a – and I really don't care what they put up here. Hello? I, I really don't. They can put a car lot, an RV lot. It doesn't matter to me, but when we do that, we can relocate, and this dream can become a reality. Do I have a friend in the building? Stay focused. 
The second thing I want to bring to your attention, and I only do two this morning, is to run your race. When I was 20, it was important to me what others thought of me. When I was 40, I didn't really care what others thought of me. And then when I turned 60, I realized there's no one out there that cares either way. I should have went to 61st instead of trying to please everybody and to appease everybody and be what people want me to be and do what people want me to do. I've had people that's had opinions about the length of my hair. I've had people's opinions about the length of my sermon. I've had people that, that's had uh, comments about you shouldn't wear a three-piece suit. You should wear a three. You need to wear a tie. You need to be more radical. You need to be more. And it, I want to tell you what. If, if I tried to please everybody, I would look like Gumby stretched in about four or five different directions. God did not create me to please you. God created me to please him. I'm working for the Father. I'm wanting to be and do what God has called me to do. And I've got to do it the way that God showed me or that God gave me. I could learn other ways, but I've got to be myself, and I've got to do it myself. And that hurts people's feelings, I'm sure. That upsets people, I'm sure. There are those that, that want us to sing a certain song, develop a certain way, have a certain. I understand all of that, but you have got to be true to thy own self. Be true. You've got to be true. You can't try to be like everybody else or do like everybody else or copy or mimic everybody else. I know there are mentors. I know there's peer pressure. I know, and that's all important. But you have got to be you. When, when Goliath confronted the people of God, no one could solve the problem. David felt impressed to say, I can take him on. And when David went to fight Goliath, Saul, who, when you find the, the story of Saul, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And when David went to battle, Saul got his armor, got his coat, got his sword, got his spear, got his shield, and tried to clothe David with it. And David put it all on. And when David had it all on, he goes, man, this is, this is too bulky. This is too, this is too, it's, a, it's, it's hindering. I can't, I can't float. It's too heavy. It wasn't made for me. I'm not going to use this, but I'm going to use what I feel comfortable. And he felt comfortable with a slingshot. And you've got to understand that David spent hours and hours and hours and hours. Did I say hours? And hours out in the, in the field doing absolutely nothing, taking care of a bunch of sheep. How many knows it's not very hard to take care of sheep? They eat the grass. They do the other thing. You don't have to do a whole lot. Just make sure there's no wolves or coyotes. I mean, really, really minimal. So David had hours and hours. Did I mention hours of time on his hand? And with that time, he didn't snooze. He didn't sit back on the shade and chew on a, on, a, on a piece of grass. He practiced that sling. He spent hours with that sling. He spent hours with that harp. David could play so well on the harp that demons would flee, the Bible says in 1 Samuel. He had that slingshot. He had that slingshot down to, to a degree that running full blast at the enemy, he slung that rock and hit the, the, the Goliath, the Bible says, was armed from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, his spear weighed over 60 pounds. Some scholars say he was 9 foot. Some say he was 13 foot. He was a monster of a man. But right here where his helmet sat on his head, there was a little place right there for it to fit over the nose, a little insert right there. And David running full speed towards Goliath took that sling 
hit the only place vulnerable that, that he could hit on the enemy. He had to be practiced. He had to be skillful. He had to be good at what he did. And he hit that Goliath right there with that rock going 111 miles an hour, and it knocked that giant down. And David ran over and had the ability to pick up that sword, and he took the enemy's own sword and cut off his head. Why? Because he did it the way God gave him to do it. He wasn't doing it the way that everybody else wanted him to do it. And the Bible says, this is a great scripture, that David fulfilled the plan of God for his life. David found that plan, and David pursued that plan. David had mistakes. I, got a, I, wrote, I wrote some notes here uh, simply entitled, Losers of the Bible. And you don't hear a positive motivational speaker talk about a lot about losers. We all want to be winners. We all want to do the Robert Shooter thing. We want to do the Norman Vincent Peale thing. We want to do the Zig Ziglar thing. We want to be assertive. We want to be positive. We want to be winners. But let me tell you about some of the losers of the Bible. After Noah built the ark and saved mankind, he built a vineyard and got drunk. Abraham, following and pursuing the plan of God, disobeyed, had sex with his wife's maid, and birthed an Ishmael. 5,000 years later, Iraq and Iran are still deadly enemies of Israel. When I, look at, when I look at Isaac, Isaac lied to the king because he was afraid the king was going to kill him to take his wife who was beautiful. Jacob deceived his dad, stole his brother's birthright. Joseph was a tattletale. Jephthah made a silly vow that I'll, I'll sacrifice the first thing I see, come and greet me. Silly. Gideon had a lack of faith. David committed murder, committed adultery. Peter cursed, and Paul killed Christians. The, the, the book of winners of the Bible is made up with a bunch of losers that decided if God be for us, who can be against us? Do I have a friend in the house? And you know what? Again, everybody's going to have an opinion the way you do it, the way you should do it, the way they want you to do it. I read a story about a man that falls into a pit. The Pharisee said, you deserve to fall in this pit. The Catholic said, you need to suffer while you're in this pit. The Baptist said, if you'd have been saved, you wouldn't have fallen into the pit. The charismatic says, just confess you're not in the pit. The mathematician says, let us calculate why you fell in the pit. The IRS says, have you paid taxes on your pit? An optimist would say it could be worse. A pessimist would say it will be worse. Everybody, like the nose, has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. I shared the story with you a few weeks ago about Heine the Mule. I learned that story from Mike Warnke, a friend of ours. And ironically, I'm, Pastor Ronda got me a book uh, by Joel Olstein. And in that, in that book, the second chapter, was a story about that mule. If you try to please everybody, you're going to lose your Heine. If you missed the story, buy the tape. I think they're 50 bucks a piece. And it is a great story. Uh, Chris Vernon is the pilot. Chris would probably share the next part of this message better than I. But there are four things that you need to learn if you're going to be a successful pilot. I won't put Chris on the spot, but I'm sure that as I share these, he will nod his head or Susan will grab his head and shake his head for him uh, to, to submit to be what I want him to be and do. What I, see there how the pressure already, the pressure. The first thing concerning uh, flying a plane is the lift. The second thing concerning the plane is the thrust. The third thing concerning the plane is the weight. And the fourth thing concerning the plane is the drag. All of these are significant. When I think of the weight, I think of Leonard Skinner's, I think of Jim Croce, and I think of 
there was another there was another band. They had too much weight on the plane, and the plane crashed, and 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 they died. When I think of the lift of the plane, I think of the people in my life that lift me up. I think of the people that encourage me. I I, I read somewhere somewhere that said people love to be appreciated for what they do. They love that 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 blesses them. That that encourages them. Yesterday, I told three different people, and I meant it. I was significant. I was I was serious. I went to three people and say, I really appreciate what you've done or what you're doing. And th- those words are encouraging. The, those words are a blessing. And I like to hang around people that lift me up, not tear me down. I like to hang around people that say, man, you got this. You can do it. You need to go another. You need, you need to keep on, keep on what you're doing. And then there's the thrust. I, I like people in my life that motivate me to get out of the box and get out of the nest and do incredible things. I like people that, that see the potential I have, see the, 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 the gifts and the talents that I have, and they thrust me, they, they encourage me. But then there's people in my life, I'll just be honest with you, they weigh me down. They just weigh me down. Their negativity and their criticism and their frustration, they just, they just they wear me out. I remember when we were very early as a church, did a lot of counseling, and a lot of counseling was just, just listening to someone say a bunch of bad stuff, and there were times in the day when I would, in between counseling sessions, there are times in the day I would reach over my office and I would lift up the window and I would stick my head out the window and I would shout, I can't take it no more. I'm serious. I am, I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. I mean, that, I mean, I was so, my, I mean, I felt like, I felt like, man, I, I am flat, wore out. But there's worse, but there's a worse scenario than that. And those are the ones that drag you down with them. They drag, they dra- they drain you. It's like a battery, and it and it loses its charge, and it's drained, and you can't give anything. You have nothing left to give. I remember many times in life feeling like I have nothing left to give. I remember telling a church elder one time, I said, I don't have any more home runs. I I don't have any more. I don't. I don't. I I'm 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 at a place where I am flat home runs out. I'm not going to hit another home run. And you know what? In the next 30 days, me, one of the, the greatest attacks has ever come against me, came against me. I said, God, didn't you hear me say, I don't have any, I don't think I have, I don't have anything left to give. I've given out. But you know what? There's always something there, and there's always something good. And you, you, you hang around the people that see the good in you and promote you and bless you and encourage you. I wrote down a couple of things here. Was that right? Lift, thrust, weight, and drag? They're all important. The four principles are important. And if you got one out of order, I promise you, you're gonna crash and burn. The uh, I, I just wrote a few a few notes here, things that can encourage you, and things that can bless you. In the past 15 days, I've watched two movies starring Dolly Parton. One about her life. I don't know if you've seen that one, and the other one was with Queen Latifah, right? The two and and the Queen Latifah. I cried. It was like it was like I got encouraged. I got I got motivated. I got. Her life story. When you when you when you hear how she grew up, I mean, they grew up penniless. They grew up broke. They they grew up hand me downs. There were like seven or eight kids in the family. And when you see her story and see now where where God has brought her, because she gives God the glory for where she's at and for what she's done. As most country western singers learned how to sing in church, they learned how to sing in a choir. They learned around the things of God in youth group. And both both those movies just really blessed me. Then I watched a movie that stole all my joy. And if you have not seen Mad Max, I wouldn't go see it. There's more murder. There's more mayhem. There's more blood. There's more body parts whacked off, blown up, disintegrated. 
and I got real discouraged, and I realized this, this movie has brought me down. This movie brings me up. I think about the books right now in my library. I have over 1,500 books. I haven't read all of them. I've probably read about 15 of them, 20 of them, but I've got them in there. I, okay. One day I'll have my own office with a whole wall will just be eagle statues and books because I seem to have a lot of that. But I think the books right now in my life that are encouraging me, that are blessing me, that are motivating me, books by Joel Olsping, books by Mark Batterson, books by Steve Furtick. These are guys right now, cutting-edge ministry, that are hearing from God, that are changing the world that they are in, and they're not afraid to share their secrets with others. And I like that. I like those that won't just tell you what they've done, but they will tell you how to do it. I think about... The, 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 the CDs, the tapes I have, Pastor Rhonda was so thoughtful. She bought me a pair of camouflage headsets so in the tree stand I can now listen to my podcast because you can't very well sit in a tree stand and listen to your podcast because the deer have a tendency to avoid the sound of noise. They hear, they hear Steve Furtick up there preaching. They run off. But now I've got these statues in my ears, and, and it's a win-win. But I've got all these podcasts. I've got all these tapes. I've got all these CDs. I think of some of the seminars I've attended, some of the seminars available. Thousands of kids were at Pigeon Forge yesterday and, and involved in the ramp, the ramp coming to Chattanooga, just different things that you can plug yourself into that you can be blessed. I think about the mentors in my life. I think about Dr. David Bishop, who went on to be the Lord. I think about Billy Burke. I think about Lemuel Miller. I think about probably my pastor, my personal mentor, Marcus Lamb, all the great things they've spoken into my life. I just texted Marcus a few weeks ago, and I said, are you still memorizing? And we, we played text back and forth. I still ask him questions about ministry. The, the, the Daystar has rocked the world, multimillion-dollar-a-week entity. I want to learn from people like that. I'm not afraid to question people like that. I'm not afraid to talk to people like that. The Bible says the older women are to instruct the younger women in marriage. The Bible says the older men are to instruct the younger men in finances. There's a reason why God puts mentors and, and, and players in our life that can bless us. I think about the encouragers in my life. I think about J.D. Lewis. I think about Kent Davis. I think about my parents, how they, they are encouragers in my life, and they encourage me. I learned a long time ago I'm going to hang out where I'm going to be celebrated, not tolerated. I'm not going to go where I'm picked apart for everything I do, everything I say, everything. I'm going to hang around people that see some kind of value in me, some kind of worth in me, and my greatest encourager, my greatest, my greatest inspiration is my wife, who actually, actually used to ask her how was the sermon today, and then she would tell me, and I get bummed out because it, it wasn't. When we started the church, I was preaching three times a week. We were it was brand new. I wasn't getting like a home run every Sunday. I said, "How was the word today?" And so she would. Well, I got depressed, so I quit asking her how this. But but now she knows how to go around that. She could talk about two or three points that blessed her, that touched her. My greatest encourager. When she goes and speaks, she always brags on me, or I wouldn't let her go out. I wouldn't let her go out and speak. But I, I thank God for the mentors in my, the, the teachers in my life. Paul said you have thousands of instructors, and those are books. Man, I mean, you can how-to deflate an airbag sitting on a stack of tires, I mean, and survive. I mean, you can, you can literally go online and learn how to do everything, and, and you need to take advantage of that. But then there are people in, in your life that know how to, how to fine-tune, how to, and you'll use it when you come out of rehab. There's things you got to do. There's fines you got to pay. You've lost your driver's license. There's child support. There's all of this. And one at a time, you tackle those things and take those things on one at a time. You surround yourself with people that have tackled that and one, they know how to encourage you. They know how to bless you. They know how to build you up. I was thinking about Angel. He is not here today, but Angel has been a very good Timothy. I've taught Angel 
what tree to climb. I've taught Angel what direction to walk in. I've taught Angel how to use his equipment. This year, Angel harvested two bucks. I think about Todd. I was sharing with Todd. I put Todd in a tree set. I said, listen, watch this area right here. This is where the deer is going to come out. Sure enough, that's where the deer came out. I had I had Angel in the in the boat uh, the, in the spring. And I said, Angel, we can throw all the baits we want, but until the sun hits the hill, we're not going to catch a fish. And Linda, right at that 6 o'clock window when the sun, that twilight, when the when the day noises cease and the night noises begin, that's when, Tony, you throw a buzz bait. That's when you throw a devil. That's when you throw a top water. The sun hit the mountain. I threw the top water, caught, caught, a, caught a bass. And Angel said, wow, you said that would happen. I said, yes, you need to hang around people you believe you have confidence in and that you actually try. A month ago, I had the privilege of leading Richard back to the Lord. A month ago. This has been a month of challenge, a month of things going on in his life because it's still, whether you're new in Christ or not, you still got the drama, you still got the stuff you're dealing with. Day before yesterday, there was a guy, an influence of alcohol, hit an SUV going 85 miles an hour, died at the scene, but before he died, Richard led him to the Lord and he gave his heart back to God and he is in heaven. If Richard never does anything else in his life, that will be worth it all. Five weeks ago, Richard couldn't have done that. But the decision he made for Christ, serving Christ, even though it's been tough, even though it's been hard, memories, things going on, he was at the right place at the right time and did the right thing. What if he just sat there in the car with the wind rolled up and said, well, that guy got creamed or, or whatever. But no, he got out of the car. He went to the guy. And I, I told Richard the story in Livonia, uh, North Carolina. I was with the pastor, and we were headed uh, to North Carolina to preach a revival. We came around a curve, and there was a guardrail and a motorcycle, and the tire was going around. There was no rider. We pulled over down in the embankment. There was a guy, when he, when he hit the guardrail, it was, like, it was like you took his body and just ripped him in two right here of his torso. He was laying there. Every time his heart would beat, his groin was pumping out blood, like a cup full of blood every time. Well, I got down there, my hands and knees, and I put my, I put my hand where the blood was pulsating. I stopped the blood from pumping. And then I looked at him. I said, listen, I said, you're probably not going to make it. You're probably going to die. This is going to kill you. Are you ready to die? Well, he wasn't ready to die. We prayed with him. We, we prayed the sinner's prayer. He repeated after me, led him to the Lord. When we got back in the car and got to the church that we were going to, I called on the pastor's phone to a pastor that I knew that was in the Atlanta area. I said, hey, this kid uh, got in a wreck yesterday. He's probably not going to live. Can you go by? So the next day I called the pastor back. The pastor went. He was dead. He did not survive the wreck, but he survived the prayer. And if that's all I ever accomplish the rest of my life, one day when I make heaven my home, right inside the gate, there's going to be this ex-biker dude with all kinds of tattoos, and, and, and he's going to say, I am in heaven today, and I've been here for 30 years. I'm in heaven today because you led me to the Lord. What, a, what if I never do anything else in life? And so know what to do. Be prepared. Know where to go. Know, know what to do. Two frogs fell in a milk urn. If you've not been on the farm, you don't know what, but you milk the cows and you pour all the milk into an urn and you take the milk to the store. Two frogs, I like to call them Mr. Can and Mr. Can't. The one frog sank to the bottom, gave up, drowned. The other frog just kept kicking, kept kicking. Eventually, he turned the milk into butter and jumped out of the milk urn and lived another day. How crazy is that? I remember when I was a little younger, I played in a Christian rock band. We played Disneyland. We played some... Pretty cool. A lot of churches, a lot of a lot of churches, but there was a song that we did. If you'll help me, guys, with a little instrumental. There was a song that we did that was entitled 
the race. Race. And the words go, many souls have started out to run this race. The next line. And many feet have stumbled, trying hard to keep the pace. At times my steps have grown so weary as I watch others pass me by. It makes me wonder who will make it. Is there a hope for such as me? Then it says, and this is good news, it's not the one that runs the swiftest. It's not the one that shines for days, but it's the one that endureth to the end. He shall, she shall be saved. And by God's grace, I'm going to make it to the end. By God's grace, I shall be saved. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just for a moment. If you're here today and you've become distracted, you're on a detour, you're on a dead end. And something this morning, the music, the worship, the prayer, the message, the humor, the stories, something has pushed a button in your heart and spirit. And you're feeling some life, you're feeling some energy. You're